And uh, looking tonight at Genesis, the book of beginnings, say, where do I find that? Well, it's on page one, right in the beginning, amen? Genesis chapter number one is where I want to read just a little bit tonight. And uh, I want to talk to you about something that I think we all need to get a handle on. And uh, we'll start right at the very top, chapter one, verse one of Genesis. In the beginning, God. And it's right there that a lot of people get hung up. They don't want to go any further. Because to acknowledge that there is a God, who is God, would, uh, well, it, it probably would upset some of the plans they have for this week. And they don't want to hear that. But the fact is, this passage says, in the beginning, God created the heavens, the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light that was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the, uh, the, the, the light day, and the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, if you'll drop down with him, and I'm going to read all of this, but just some highlights here. Verse 16, chapter 1. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the earth and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26. And God said, let us... Us, we'll get back to that in a minute. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the um, air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and all, uh, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Now, there are any number of other parts of that that I could read, but let me stop right there. I want to talk to you tonight about some of what I've just read. Uh, some of you are no doubt history buffs, and uh, you probably know that February is a month in which we celebrate uh, presidential birthdays, uh, primarily Washington and Lincoln. And we do that uh, because both of them have a birthday in February. And just a couple of weeks ago, we actually came to the day when uh, Lincoln was born, February the 12th, and the year was 1809. Well, interestingly enough, that very same day, 
same year, same month, same day, another man was born named Charles Darwin. Now, when I refer to Lincoln and Darwin in the same sentence, I usually cap it off by saying I just mentioned the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you say, well, that's three things. Yeah, I know the good applies to Lincoln, the other two apply to Darwin. All right? Now, uh, Charles Darwin, in 1859, published the first of two books that became rather famous. Uh, 1859. First book called The Origin of Species. Um, and uh, it's a big, voluminous book. Uh, the word evolution was not in it until the sixth printing a few years later in 1872 when they added the word evolution to that particular text. The, the other major work that he did that became famous was his book called The Descent of Man. And that's where, he did that in 1871, and that's where the word evolution first appeared. Now. When we talk about creation, we talk about evolution, we're talking about two things that are as far apart as any two things can get. And uh, it, is, it is vitally important that we understand that God did create this world and the things that are in it. And that it did not evolve from some uh, protozoa, some one-celled animal. It did not come out of the creek. It did not come from the sand in the ocean or any swamp or whatever. Now, uh, I want to back up and look at chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, I, I've, never, I've never professed to be a, uh, an authority on either Hebrew or Greek, although I, I'm thankful I have working skills in both languages. But, uh, but this, of course, written in Hebrew. And I want to, want to break it down for you just a little bit. I don't mean to... Don't mean to because uh, I'm, I'm doubting very many people have had Hebrew, but let me give you just a little bit here for your edification. Uh, this passage says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And here's what it says in Hebrew. Bereshith, bara Elohim, Hashemayim, Wahaaretz. Now, the Bereshith word is a very pointedly specific word. In fact, that's one of the things about Greek and Hebrew. Both of them are far more, uh, have far more specific uh, detail in terms of how they say certain things, much more so than English. We have a lot of ambiguity in English. You know, you, you say to some person who's just come to America learning English, uh, you know, here's a quack quack, uh, you tell them to duck. And five minutes later, somebody throws a brick bat at them and you holler duck, and they're looking for the quack quack. And it's because the, the terminology is amb ambiguous. Well, we have a lot more specificity in both Hebrew and Greek. And when this passage says, Bereshith, it's telling us that there was a point of beginning on all of this. Now, God doesn't have a beginning. God's eternal. He's always been there. But uh, there was a point in time where that God started all of this. And so, Bereshith, and by the way, the Hebrew is not constructed. You know, we do subject, verb, direct object, or whatever. Uh, but uh, Hebrew, they, next, next word in here is the verb. It's the word bara. What does it mean? It means created. And pointedly, it means out of nothing, something came. You say, well, how'd that come about? God, who is omnipotent, God, who is almighty, spoke 
these things into existence. Let there be light. Woo! There was light. Now, so, Bereshith bara Elohim. That's the God word, Elohim. And it is a plural noun. Plural. <laughs> you say, well, whoa, what do we got here? We got polygamy? No. We've got God the, the Father. And a couple of verses later, we've got the Spirit mentioned. And uh, you read John chapter 1, we find out Jesus was there. And so we've got the plurality of the Trinity present. That's why it says, let us make man in our image. All right? Now, so, Bereshith bara Elohim Hashemayim, that's the heaven. It just simply says all of this out there, the stars, the moons, and all of the things all out across the universe. God put all that in place. And then the last word is uh, Ha'aretz, means the earth or the land. Now, uh, so we have all of that laid out. Brings me to some questions. Is evolution a plausible theory? And here's my complicated answer. No. No. Second question. Is creation merely a religious thing? No. It's, it's a scientific principle as well as something God told us about. Question number three, why are so many scientists so adamant about an unproven idea? Well, because if they ever acknowledge that there's a God, he's also going to have the Ten Commandments that we heard about in Sunday school this morning. Uh, they're going to have to look at that. I mean, if, if, if Genesis 1-1 is right, they're going to have to look at Exodus 20. And that's where it bogs down. They, they don't want his uh, moral applications to them and spiritual applications. They don't want to hear the eternal issues. Now, I have to ask this question too. I, I've used a Schofield Bible for many, many years, but Schofield was a man. And uh, everything I write, everything you write, uh, can be perfected. And, uh, and by the way, I like the Schofield Bible. We sell the Schofield Bible. In fact, we're the biggest customer Schofield, uh, the uh, Oxford has for the Schofield Bible. Uh, if you want a Schofield Bible, you just about have got to come to us to get it. Now, uh, so, but you say, what are you saying? I'm saying, see, I Schofield got it wrong here early on in Genesis when he said, well, he's going to put a gap, a time gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. You read it sometimes in some of the commentaries, they talk about the gap theory. There is no gap. No gap. So Schofield got that one wrong. Now, are the are 24, question number five, are the 24-hour days of Genesis for real? The answer, yes. Pointedly, yes. God said evening and morning, day one, day two, etc. So you say, why is this controversy so important? Well, evolution is not science. It's a lie, a hoax, a fraud. And creation is the reality of any serious inquiry. The evolutionists like to debate and dodge and deny. And if you have conversation with them and you hem them up on one little thing, they'll dodge immediately and go to something else, just hoping they can, you know. I had one guy several years ago, we were in a rather intense conversation about this, and he said, uh, he said well, you know, he said, he said, I have to admit, he said, uh, he said we, we have a missing link or two in our chain. And I said, sir, I hope you won't think I'm being unkind to you, but I said, your whole stinking chain's missing. Now, 
we get a lot of significant insight out of Genesis about how all of this came to be. Uh, it's pretty obvious when you look around. Our universe is very orderly. And by the way, some of the evolutionists talk about the Big Bang. They say, oh yeah, Big Bang and all this was created. Every, every, every bang, big and small, that I've ever seen anything about, they destruct, they don't construct. You, you take one stick of dynamite, put it under a pew, or put it out there under your car, it's going to tear up something. You're not, you're not going to walk out there and say, wow, I got four new tires out of that stick of dynamite. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> it doesn't construct, it destructs. But our universe is orderly. That's why we could tap into Google and tell you exactly to the minute when the sun will come up in the morning. Or if you want to know a hundred years from in the morning, we can tell you that as well because of the orderliness of our universe. You know, <clears throat> we, we knew when we left here this morning that it would get dark later today because, you know, the earth is spinning uh, once a day on its rotation, makes a complete cycle. You got the moon out there making its trip around, and then we're making the trip around the sun once a year, all of that. I mean, it's orderly. And you do not get order just by happenstance. You get order because somebody ordered it. And that is a, an important principle. Uh, you think about the reproduction of the human race, the reproduction of dogs, reproduction of horses, whatever. What does the Bible tell us about all that? Everything produces after its kind. I know some of you are, are big uh, dog uh, lovers. I mean, you love your dogs. But I can tell you some things about your dog. I don't care whether you've got a German Shepherd or a Chihuahua. <laughs> your, your dog is not going to have kittens. You say, that big old German Shepherd, going to deliver a little bit. You're not going to get piglets out of it. You're not, you're not going to get a cage full of canaries. No, I mean, the puppies, the puppies may be little puppies, big puppies, they may be brown puppies, black puppies, yellow puppies, I mean, all kinds of puppies. But they're all going to be puppies. Everything produces after its kind. You don't, you don't have the fish with its, gill, with its gills evolving into something with lungs, which is something some of the evolutionists try to tell us. Well, you know, we had gills back way when, you know, but uh, all of that evolved over several million years. That's garbage, simply put. There's another point to be made here. Uh, the scientists have something they call the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, if, if you take evolution into account, that means things have gotten better. That means, you know, we were, we were a protozoa at one time, now here we are, this complex human being. Evolved into that, everything is, no. Second law of thermodynamics is everything's winding down. You know, the house that you live in, if you close it up tonight, move off and stay six months, I promise you, you're going to have a lot of maintenance to do when you get back. Because just sitting there with nobody there, there's, I mean, there's going to be shingles off, there's going to be paint, I mean, I mean the yard's going to look a mess. You've got to work to keep the order of things like that because everything is breaking down. That new car you just bought, <laughs> give it 10 years and see what you got. 
All right. Now, uh, just think about, talking about, again, things that just mandate creation. Think, think about the human anatomy. Think about this computer that you have between your ears. Absolutely fabulous. Uh, think about your circulatory system. Think about, you know, uh, just breathing. I mean, all, your digestive system, all of the, I mean, to imagine that all of that had to have millions of years to develop. I mean, you say, well, my digestive system will be, I mean, it'll be working 500,000 years from now. Yeah, you're going to be deader and done too, starved to death. Come on, give me a break. That's why I don't even call evolution a theory. I call it a hypothesis. You say, what's the difference? Well, a theory means maybe you've got some data to work with, uh, and hypothesis just means it's, a, it's an absolute guess. <clears throat> and that's, that's why I label it a hypothesis. You know, a lot of the things that the scientists have constructed over the years where they found a bone or two and then, then they built some kind of a Tyrannosaurus or something out of it. A lot of those things have been proven to be absolute frauds. Frauds. Just uh, things they made up trying to prove their, their set of ideas. Uh, the, last, uh, <clears throat> the last weekend of June last year, I flew on a Saturday up to Chicago Midway Airport, fly with Southwest most of the time, flew into to Midway and rented a car and drove up to Holland, Michigan for some meetings. And uh, <clears throat> that particular weekend, we had trouble getting a rental car. It's about, I don't know, 150 miles or something up to Holland, Michigan. And, uh, and I needed a rental car. And some of the companies that I deal with a lot, uh, they said, man, we're all sold out for that weekend. So finally, uh, my daughter-in-law, who works there in my office, uh, said to me, she said, she said uh, I found a car place off the, uh, off the airport, and they, she said, I call them, they say they will come and get, and she said they're half the price of some of those others, and, <clears throat> and she said, uh, they said, all you got to do is phone them, they'll come right over, pick you up, get you in the car, and get you going. I said, well, hey, let's try it. So sure enough, I flew to Midway. Punched the number in, the guy on the desk there at the place said, yes, sir. He said, we'll have the man right there. And in a little bit, wasn't uh, immediate, but might have been 15, 20 minutes, he showed up. Young man, uh, I'm guessing uh, 28, maybe 29 years of age. He had his uh, uniform on for the company. Band had the name on, everything was fine. And a nice looking van I got in. He, he took my luggage, put it away, and I got in the back seat. And uh, I was the only passenger. And so as soon as I got in, I started conversation. And, uh, and so <clears throat> I, I posed the question that I posed to a lot of people. I said, anybody talk to you about heaven lately? One of my, one of my better intros. I, I like that. Because almost nobody's talked to no, anybody about heaven. So I said, anybody talk to you about heaven lately? Oh, he said, I'm a Muslim. And uh, I said, a Muslim. He was glancing back at me once in a while. And I said, well, uh, I said, have you ever considered some of what we have to offer? And he immediately, instead of answering my question, he said to me, he said, <clears throat> he said if you were talking to an atheist, he's about to tell me where he really is. He said, if you were talking to an atheist, he said, what would you tell him? 
And you know, sometimes, sometimes you hadn't had that question before, but the Lord just helps you. And I gave him a portion of what I'm going to tell you, but here's the answer to that. When I talk to an atheist, I'm not going to start with the Bible because he's not ready for that. But I tell you what I do want when I talk to an atheist. And this, this young man was telling me already, he was a Muslim by heritage, but he really was an atheist. And I picked up on that really quickly. I told him, I said, I tell you what I need. If I'm talking to an atheist, I need a telescope, a microscope, and a stethoscope. He turned around and looked at me, and he said, a telescope, a microscope, and a stethoscope, and then I began to explain it to him. I said, let's take that telescope, and we're going to look out there, and I'm going to show you all kinds of things that you can't explain. And not only that, if you give me a microscope, we're going to go to an anthill. I mean, we're going to go to the, to the laboratory at the hospital, and uh, we're going to look at all those slides of, you know, people's blood and all that and see all kinds of things. And, uh, and not only that, the stethoscope, we're going to check out all kinds of things in your body. And I mean, he got the picture real quickly. And very frankly, folks, you give me a telescope, a microscope, and a stethoscope, and I'm going to chase this evolutionary crowd. I'm going to chase them back into the hole where they came from because they cannot answer the questions. When I was a college student, I was going to a so-called Christian university, and it's not one of ours, but I was going to a, a Christ, so-called Christian university. They told me that I needed to take a language, so I chose Latin. And the Latin professor, he took a couple of three days every semester to lecture us on evolution. And what that had to do with Latin, I don't know. He never explained that. But I heard his lecture, and then I heard it a second time, and he asked that particular day, he said, because uh, he had finished his lectures about three days, I mean, he said, he said, anybody got any questions? I was just waiting. <laughs> I was sitting two seats back, kind of at this angle from him. He was sitting behind his desk. I held my hand up. I said, yes, Dr. Myers. I said, uh, I, I do have a question. I said, I notice whenever you explain origins, how we all got here. I said, I, I've been puzzled by the, all the stuff you start with. I said, you talk about maybe a, a protozoa or some amoeba or something like that. And, uh, and I said, uh, you, you've even got them in a swamp or you got them in a creek. You're starting with an awful lot of stuff. I said, where did the stuff come from that you're starting with? He walked around his desk. He came back, pointed across the desk in front of me and pointed his finger. And he said, Smith, that is your primitive mind at work. And he turned around and walked back around behind his desk and he said, any other questions? Now, what he didn't realize was he had just disenfranchised everything he had said for three days. Because here I was, probably 20 years old at the time, and one little question had blown him out of the water. In fact, the class ended, we got out in the hall, and all those, all those other kids in the class, I mean, they were, they were giving me attaboys all, all the way down the hall because most of them weren't buying it either. Now, I'm just simply saying 
that uh, the, these folks, they really don't have much of a case. While I was pastor in Maryland, we had a college there in town, and the chairman of the philosophy department was a man named Dr. Zepp. And uh, he, he, wrote, he, was a, he was a liberal's liberal, I mean ultra-mega-liberal. And uh, he wrote for some of the newspapers in the area, so I'd seen some of his stuff in the paper and knew who he was. Secretary said one day, she said, Dr. Ira Zepp's on the phone for you. And I said, really? <laughs> so I picked it up, I said, Dr. Zepp. And uh, he said, well, you don't know me. I said, oh yeah, I know about you. And he said, well, he said, I've been watching you ever since you came to town. Thought that was interesting. <laughs> College was only about two miles across, uh, from my campus across the treetops. I could see the college over, over there two miles away. And uh, he said to me, he said, you know, he said, the kids over here, he said, they only hear from people like me. He said, I just wonder if you'd come over and lecture in my philosophy classes. I said, well, tell me about it. Well, he told me no strings attached. Uh, he did have some subjects he wanted me to address, like feminism and humanism and, and uh, atheism and homosexuality. I mean, a, a lot of just nice stuff, you know, <laughs> that he wanted me to address. I said, I can do that. And uh, little did I know that I would do that one semester, two semesters for 12 years. <laughs> I went 24 consecutive semesters and lectured in those classes in that, in that college. Now, Betty can tell you, I, I would do three hour and a half classes on a day. I would come home at the end of those days feeling like I'd been run over by a truck. Lecture for an hour and then you got Q&A with the students. And a lot of those students have been totally brainwashed by this time. A lot of them are already acknowledging that they're communist and other such things as that. And, uh, <clears throat> You know, um, not, a, not a single time in those 24 semesters, when my day was done, not a single time did I leave the classroom and walk to my car by myself. Every, <clears throat> every single time, there'd be three or four or five or six, maybe seven or eight students who would walk all the way across campus, maybe a maybe hundred yards to get to my, my car. And, uh, and it was like, man, we, you know, we, we, we need to hear from people like you. You know, we don't hear this. And, and man, we were, we were helped. A lot, a, lot of the, a lot of these young people in the universe, you, you wonder why they're in the streets doing so many crazy things so often. They're, they're being taught from, from the get-go that they're animals. No different from animals. They're, they're, being, they're being taught amorality. They're being taught all of this kind of stuff that goes with the evolutionary hypothesis. Now, I, I, I run, I run the, the list of all of this stuff and back up to say, Genesis 1-1 makes a really clear point. God created all this. Now, you say, well, what does that have to do with me and you? Well, here's what it has to do. Number one, it establishes the reality of God. God is real. Second thing, it proclaims the deity of Christ. Whenever we realize Christ was involved in creation and just, just realizing his eternality, pretty amazing. But it makes it clear. 
I mean, if creation is right, and it is, then Christ is eternal. Christ is deity. Number three, it authenticates, authenticates the Word of God. I mean, I look out with a telescope. I look down at an anthill or something with a microscope. I get a telescope and start examining all the things about the human body. All of that authenticates everything God tells us about how we got here. And number four, understanding the creation issue, it verifies the status of man as the creature. We are not God. We are the creature. We are the created. There is a creator, and he's the one that got us here. And number five, it demonstrates the purposes of God in dealing with men. God does have some design on us. He does have things in mind. And all of that can be laid out very, very clearly. Number six, it legitimizes the claims of God upon us. God calls to us. He lays out His game plan. Tells us about redemption. Tells us about a Christian lifestyle. All of that. Well, I'm telling you, if what I'm telling you tonight is right, you and I will do well to listen to whatever else God has to say. And number seven, getting this all straight, it chronicles the past in anticipation of the future. If you and I understand the past, creation and all of that, then it will help us to get a picture of what's coming. If we, if we get our focus and put our faith and our trust in what he tells us about the past, then we ought to be able to trust him with the future as well. I'm telling you, when I read in this, in this Bible at the very outset that God created the heavens and the earth, I can't help but smile. I mean, it is to me one of those positive points. It's a positive PowerPoint. It ought to do something for every single one of us. And I trust just walking through this a little bit tonight will encourage you.